Our scripture reading is taken from Matthew 11, verses 25 through 30. That can be found on the Pew Bible in, on page 859. Or you can read it off the screen here. Matthew 11, 25 through 30. And at that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and have revealed them to babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in your sight, all things have been delivered to me by the Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal him. Come to me, all you, all you who are heavy labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you're a guest, again, we welcome you. It does encourage us that you're here, and we hope that we can be an encouragement to you. It's an exciting morning, not only because you got an extra hour's sleep or an extra hour to do something, uh, but it is exciting, as I already mentioned, to have Wayne and Debbie Miller with us. Uh, we are thrilled. I'm so thankful that we have an eldership that's willing to look out in the future to see and project what we need as a congregation to best help us grow spiritually and also to help grow the kingdom. And uh, as a staff, we are really, really excited. As we evaluate ourselves and see our weaknesses that we have as a staff, uh, we believe that Wayne is going to be that, that perfect fit to be able to bring a strength that as a team uh, we need. And we're thankful that he's here. He brings a lot of success from the past uh, to build upon, and we are thankful that they're here thankful that Debbie, uh, of course, is here. That'd be terrible if you moved without her. Uh, we're thankful that, that she's here, such a loving and hospitable lady, and uh, we're thankful that they're here. You may have noticed on Facebook, Mount Juliet, uh, the hip Mount Juliet website kind of blew up for a, a few hours this past week talking about our teddy bears. Uh, a lady took her son to have a surgery this week and forgot the stuffed animal, and the teddy bear saved the day. And so she posted about that, and then immediately another lady across the hall from her posted and said, yeah, my, my child received that and what a great ministry it is. And they were saying thank you to everybody involved at Mount Juliet Church of Christ. And then the second woman even said, and not only is their teddy bear ministry great, their Mother's Day Out, which to us is the Mount Juliet Preschool, says there's also another great ministry that they have in the community. So it's just neat to see people out in the community talking. We did, we are the sermon day last week. Another class today is going out and doing, we are the sermon today, sermon day because of the weather and, and other things postponed it and so that's continuing let's make sure that we go out every day and we live for the Lord we let our light so shine before men that they will see our good works and glorify the Father which is in heaven. We have 121 youth and about 32 adults at a retreat this morning. They've had a great time. Uh, I hear through the grapevine there's a baptism. I'm not exactly sure who it was, uh, but we look forward to hearing more uh, good results uh, from the uh, great time that they had there. Remember, Veterans Day is just around the corner. If you're a veteran, you're invited to breakfast. And also, we're encouraging you to invite veterans from the community. Be sure and sign up at the Information Center. Uh, we would love to have that opportunity to honor you. 
Remember, it is time. Can you believe it? It is time for Operation Turkey again right now. And so if you want to take a family in Latin America, uh, we will be giving each family through your donation. If you take a family, you're saying, I'd like to give a $50 gift to this family in Latin America. And all of these are preachers in that area. And a lot of them, what they do, when we go down, they tell us about it. And what they do is they invite their whole church family over. A lot of their churches are 30 and 40 in size. They'll take the $50 and they'll buy a meal and they'll feed the entire church uh, with that. And so if, if you'd like to do that, and, and a lot of our families take one on their own, others chip in and do it together, others do it through a Bible class, be creative because this year the number has grown to 81 families that we're going to try to help in that way. Also, if you would like to write a note, we will translate that note and, and send it to them. They love to know who's giving it. Think about giving a gift of money is great, but accompanying it with love is even better. Taking the time to take interest in them, let them know that you love and appreciate the work that they do in the Lord's kingdom. You're going to be sending this to ministers that they work all the time in the Lord's kingdom. And let them know that you appreciate it and you'll have their name. Be praying for them. Let them know you're praying for them. And then you might want to tell a little bit about yourself or if, if it's a family sending it, tell a little bit about your family and they love to receive pictures of who it is sending it. And so those last two things are optional, but if you want to do that, they really do appreciate that. So that'll be taking place over the next few weeks. Please be sure and find your place in that. Also, uh, we'll be having prayer day. One of the greatest days of the year when the whole church family comes together and prays for every member by name, every ministry by detail, and every request that people have turned in. Probably starting Wednesday night, there'll be request forms that you can fill out individually and uh, you can be getting those back uh, to the elder that's in your class. On November 15th, the Sunday morning Bible classes will be praying together. And there'll be some other things that we'll do emphasizing prayer this month. We'll also later on in the month do our list of 100 things you're thankful for. And then toward the end of the month, we're going to do 10,000 reasons that we bless the Lord. And so you'll be asked to... Uh, we need a thousand, so like you will be asked. Uh, we, we need a thousand people to list 10 reasons why you'll bless the Lord. And we'll have post-it notes and we'll put those up in the foyer at a certain place. And so there will literally be 10,000 reasons on the wall uh, that, that we bless the Lord. And we look forward to that time. We'll talk more about that in a few weeks as that's coming up. If we walked in off the street and we said, I don't know a lot about God, but I'd like to learn more about God. Does he have any expectations of me? One of the things that would quickly come out in God's teachings is he would say, you must be humble. It's not an option. If we're going to serve the Lord, we must be humble. There are so many ways to think about this and to illustrate it. I think about one that I read this past week of a young lady from America that went to a museum that had Beethoven's piano in it and she asked the guard there that was standing there if she could play it and he shook his head no and she offered a lavish tip and he nodded yes, she could play it. And so she played Moonlight Sonata for a little while and then she got up and she went back by the guard and said thank you and kind of in a low voice she said, I guess all the pianists really just die to play this piano, don't they? Guard said, no. He said, most of the great ones believe that they're not worthy to touch that piano. 
Humility is an interesting topic. Humility is an interesting way to live. Are you listening? It's not a popular human trait. You're not going to go home this week and listen to a talk show that encourages you to learn how to be more humble. You're not going to go to a bookstore and go to the self-help that has thousands of books on almost every topic. At least you think there's every topic, but you're not going to find one on how to be more humble. You're not going to find a lot of parents that are just bound and determined to raise children that are humble in every way, unless they're Christians. And Christians, they believe that humility is one of the greatest traits that we could ever acquire. They believe that we can come together, not on a talk show, but on a regular basis in Bible classes and worship time. And we hear about this wonderful topic of humility all the time. And even though there are many books not written about humility, secularly speaking, we have one book that's actually made up of 66 books and every one of the 66 books promotes humility. Every one of them. And children... Christian parents not only teach their children to be humble, but they begin by modeling it themselves and then constantly being aware of their child's attitude. Is it linked to a thought process that is truly humble? As we consider this this morning, I'd like for us to look at two passages. The one that has just been read, and that is Matthew the 11th chapter, the end of the chapter. When we get to verse 28 and 29, many of us in this room would say, I love those verses. I've heard those verses pretty much all of my life. Come to me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and, notice this, learn from me. What are we going to learn from you, Lord? And he would describe himself. I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, I'm not saying studying this verse in the context that it's written changes the meaning entirely, but most of us would probably have to admit that most of the time we've studied this verse, it's been pretty much just those two verses. Do you know the context of these verses? Knowing the context of these verses makes it even deeper and richer in what it's teaching. If you have your Bible open, drop back and notice verse 20 through 24. We're not going to have time to develop all of this, but hopefully it'll at least interest you enough that maybe you want to go back and spend more time with it this afternoon or this week sometime. But he mentions three cities here, Jesus does, in verse 20 through 24. Teresa, Bethsaida, and Capernaum. And he mentions cities that in these cities he spent most of his time doing his greatest deeds or his most powerful miracles. And it's doing those miracles with these people most of the time that they didn't believe him. They didn't follow him. And so he has a powerful statement to say about them to us in the fact that they would not believe him. They would not follow him. Let that sink in. He does his most powerful miracles followed up by his powerful teaching. They don't want to have anything to do with him. This is the way he says it about Capernaum. Let's just read 23 and 24. He says something similar in 22, uh, 21, 22 there. But, but look at 23 and 24. And you, Capernaum, who are exalted to heaven. See, that's what they thought. We're exalted to heaven. We'll be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. 
But I say to you that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. What was he saying? He says, do you realize how many chances they had? Do you realize the evidence they had? Do you realize everything they had? He said, if Sodom would have had that, they would have repented. That's powerful. But what he says coming out of that is really what's powerful. Now let's read, if you will. Well, right before we read it, let me show you this slide. Coming out of that, what he's going to do, he's going to give praise to God. And you might be a little bit surprised of the reason he's going to praise God. And then he gives a proclamation of himself. And then eventually we'll get to the promise that leads to the Father. So let's go in verse 25. Now keep in mind what he's just said. He's just called out these three cities and talked about how intolerable it is that they would have so much evidence and they still wouldn't believe and accept the truth of the gospel. And notice verse 25. At that time, Jesus answered and said, see, this is the praise of the Father. I thank you, Father. Some translations say, I praise you, Father. Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and have revealed them to babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in your sight. Who are the wise and the prudent? They were only wise and prudent in their own thinking. Have you ever seen someone that they get enough education that they start thinking they can outthink God? Have you ever seen someone that they get enough life experiences that they don't think they need to follow really the Word of God anymore because after all, I've kind of been through it all and I know it all. And there's not a hunger and there's not a bowing down before God to say, Lord, I want to learn your will because I want your will to be done in my life. Listen, Jesus actually says a prayer praising God as he looks over to those three cities and he says, thank you, God, for not letting your gospel rest with those people. How powerful would the gospel be if it was only the proud and the arrogant that the gospel was offered to? And then he says, instead, you didn't hide it with them. You hid it from them and offered it to babes. Now notice, he didn't literally hide it in the sense that they can't get it. The hidden aspect of it is, if you and I are ever in arrogance, the truth is hidden from us. Arrogance will always blind us from truth. That is one of the ways that God created the sharing of the gospel. We must be humble if we're ever to come to God. We must be humble if we're ever to be like Jesus. And so he talks about the babes. You hold a babe and what do you think? I remember holding my children when they were babes and I remember sometimes thinking all that they had to learn in life. They know how to eat. That's about the only thing they know how to do. Well, they can cry and use the bathroom, but you know, it's really limited. And, and before long, they learn everything. They learn to walk, they learn to talk, they learn to interact. They learn to love. And we could go on and on. You see what Jesus is saying? You've given this to people that have that attitude of a babe. I have so much to learn. Paul's right here and ask yourself. Honestly, ask yourself. Have you lately, this past week, spent any time in meditation and in study and prayer where you have honestly, humbly said to God, I have so much to learn. I want to know your way better. I want to submit to you in everything. 
Are you like the babes? Are you like this triplicate of cities that had made a mess of their relationship with God? And so it's in that praise to the Father that we find that we want to be babes. But then notice how he identifies himself. Look at 27. All things have been delivered to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father. Now notice this last part. This is important. Nor does anyone know the Father except the Son and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal him. How would anyone learn of God? Jesus says, people on earth, it's been revealed to me. All things. And if you want to learn of the Father, the Father knows me. But then notice the last part of that. I'm the one that knows the Father. Oh, and let me tell you the other people that know the Father. The ones, I reveal it to them. You see, now when you go back to those three cities, what was he saying? He was saying, I spent time in those three cities trying to lead those people to the Father. Well, they didn't want anything to do with me. Therefore, they're not going to make it to the Father. And so now he praises the Father for, for bringing this message to the babes. And then he reminds what babes do. Babes listen to Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is going to bring us to the Father. Exodus 33. What did Moses want? It sounded like more than anything, he wanted to see the Father. Let me remind you of a couple other passages you know. Psalm 42, 1 and 2. We sing this one sometime. But will you listen to it with fresh ears and think about how desperately the psalmist wanted something here. As we read this, just know, what did the psalmist want? As the deer pants for the water brooks, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Psalm 42, 1, 2. What do you want? Deer can't live without water. The deer goes without water very long. All the deer wants is water. And he says, God, that's the way I am for you. I want you, God. As a matter of fact, I've, I've got one big question. When am I going to be able to stand in your presence, God? That's what Jesus was addressing. Jesus wanted to address all of those people that their heart's desire is to stand in the presence of God. Perhaps you could say, well, maybe the motive was a little bit different, but it's the same thing. You remember Job? Remember he went through all of his losses and was going through all of his sickness and despair? And, and notice what he said in Job 23 and 1. Then Job answered and said, even today my complaint is bitter. My hand is listless because of my groanings. Oh, that I knew where I might find him, that I might come to his seat. Job, what do you want? I just want to be able to come to the seat of God. I've got all this happening in my life. Right now, earth doesn't feel very safe. Right now, earth doesn't feel very secure. What do you want, Job? I just want to be in the presence of God. Now, Job was thinking, I've got some questions I want to ask God. But also notice he felt safe if he could come to the presence of God. Do you realize that that is definitely the strong underlying message 
when Jesus says in John 14 and 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. You see, that's not just an introduction. And there's nothing wrong if, you know, today if I say to you, many times we read that verse and all we think about is Jesus. And there's nothing wrong with thinking about Jesus in that. It'd be a lot right thinking about Jesus. But what I want you to see this morning is that the strong underlying message is godly people have a hunger for God. And we've got to realize there's no way to come to God except through Jesus. And so Jesus came to this earth and a lot of people rejected him. Entire cities would turn their back on him. And so Jesus gives us this message at the end of Matthew, the 11th chapter, to say, Father, I want to praise you that you've hidden this with people that are really hungry. They're like babes. They want to learn. And I'm thankful that you sent me. Jesus, identify yourself. I'm the one that helps people find the Father. And now let's read as we go back to Matthew 11, this slide has 27, 28. I want us to just jump straight to 28. With those things in mind that we've just studied, think about God. Jesus leading us to God when he says, come to me. Jesus saying, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Where are they going to find that rest? In the presence of God. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you'll find what? Rest for your souls. Where is the ultimate rest of the souls? The ultimate rest is that heavenly home. When we're free from all that this earth has, has, has done to us and, and that we have gone through sometime in great challenge, sometime in great pain, there's this day that we can be in the presence of God. That is the strong underlying message here in verse 28 and 29. When yes, it is Jesus saying, come to me. But why was Jesus saying that? When you go back to 26 and 27, he was saying that in order to say, I can take you to the Father. I can reveal the Father to you when no one else can. And so now we go to this next slide, but it's the very same verses. But I just want you to notice the highlights. What are we going to have to do? We got to go to Jesus. What do we have to do? We have to take his yoke. I, I don't know if I want to yoke up. Sounds like to me that's going to be submission. Sounds like to me that's going to be work. Sounds like to me anybody that does that's going to have to be humble. Is that what it sounds like to you? Come to him. Lord, I want to do things my way. You can do things your way or you can humbly come to him. Well, Lord, if I come to you, do I get to do everything my way? No. You take on a yoke and we're about the kingdom work. Hmm. How would I learn really how to do that? Learn from Jesus. And who is He? I am gentle and I am lowly in heart. It's not just lowly in behavior. He truly has a humble heart. So how can we learn this? Turn with me, if you will, to Philippians. And as you're turning to Philippians, I want to let you know that over this five Sundays, we're going to spend time probably every week in the book of Philippians because it is a great study about humility. It's a great study about humility as it relates to Jesus. Therefore, it should relate to us because if we're going to learn how to be humble, we learn it from Jesus. It also is a great study about humility and how it intertwines with prayer. It also is a great study about humility and how it intertwines with gratitude 
Remember the things that we announced at the very beginning of this lesson that we're going to concentrate on this month? We're going to concentrate on prayer. We're going to concentrate on being grateful. We're going to concentrate on praising the Lord. You see, all of these things we see from the book of Philippians. So in just the last few minutes that we have here, let me kind of kick off this month, if you will, by just showing you some things. When we go to Philippians, the second chapter in verse five through about verse 11, it's considered the Mount Everest of teachings about humility that we learn from Jesus Christ. And notice in verse five where he says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. He didn't just say, let this behavior. It's deeper than behavior. It's a mindset. It's a disposition. Like in your mind, in your heart, are you humble? It's not, hey, can you leave here this afternoon and can you go to your house and can you act like, in other words, can you pretend you're humble? Can, can you in your arrogance think, oh wait, how would I do this and make it look like it's humble? What about if instead of trying to act humble, what if we seek throughout this month to make sure, and if we find out we don't have it, that we seek to grow a mind that's like Christ. So what is it that's like Christ? Look at the next verses. Philippians 2, we see, let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. Verse 6, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. How did Jesus display humility? He's God. John 1 and 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. Now note, when he came to earth, humility is not giving up who you are. Please pay attention to this. He didn't stop being God so that he could start being humble. You don't stop being yourself so that you can start being humble. What strengths did God give you? What abilities did God give you? What resources did God give you? Humility is not, oh, I really have the strength to do this, but I'm not going to do it because I'm being humble. That's not humility. Humility is taking all that God has given you and lifting up the will of God and all that God has given you. And so we turn and we serve another to do what? To lift them toward God. In humility, we serve them to lift them toward God. We don't serve them to say, hey, look at me. Look how great I am. Aren't you glad you got me in your life? We serve them to point them toward God. We serve God in humility to lift ourselves toward God. Humility is not about badgering yourself. It's not about taking yourself at the knees. It's not about... about criticizing yourself. Humility, Jesus left heaven and he remained God. The word form there, some of your translations actually gonna say nature. He was in the nature of God. But notice in the next verse what he did. He also, I'm sorry, back, back up one. <laughs> and notice in verse seven, he made himself of no reputation. We see that word form again. He took upon himself the nature or the form of a servant. When he came to this earth, he could have introduced himself to everyone as God on earth. And you all ought to be serving me. You all ought to be washing my feet. 
Everywhere I go, you all ought to be bowing down before me. But you know the life of Jesus. He didn't do that. He gave up his right in order to serve. We'll mention this at the close, but I just want to mention it real quickly here. What rights will you give up this week in order to serve? I'm the boss of the company. I don't have to pick up the paper towel on the bathroom floor. No, you don't. You have the right not to do that. It's not your job. You own the company. But would you give up your rights in order to serve? So you're a good parent. And you have your children doing daily chores. It's their chore. It is. You need to make them do it. It's good. That's part of humility also. But do you ever come in and say, you know what? You know what I'd love to do this afternoon? I'd love to do the chores with you this afternoon. Why would you do that? It's not your right. You could give up your rights to serve beside someone. Maybe as husband and wife, maybe you have some things laid out that this is her responsibility, this is his responsibility, and maybe you agreed on it. It's kind of like the marital handshake. Hey, we, we, this, this is what works for us. So maybe you, maybe you have the right to not take the trash out. You know what I mean? That's his. Would you ever just go ahead and take the trash out because you want to serve? Would you ever, do you frequently would be a better way to say it, do things at home, at work, in your church family, in the community, do you regularly give up your rights in order to serve? Notice the second one and we'll close. Look at verse 8 and 9. He gave up something else too. And being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled, we're talking about humility, he humbled himself and he became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. What else did he do? Not only did he give up his rights in order to serve, but he gave up his life in order to obey. He humbled himself when he became flesh. He humbled himself whenever he left eternity and came into time. He humbled himself when he left heaven and came into earth. He humbled himself when he was deity, but deity took upon flesh. We can go on and on. He humbled himself when he became man. He humbled himself when he came to this earth and said, you know what? I'm God and I'm going to obey. If you haven't chewed on something lately that'll blow your mind, you chew on that one this week. I'm God, and I'm going to obey. God, how obedient are you going to be? Even to the point of death. The church of Smyrna in Revelation the second chapter, one of the churches of the seven churches of Asia. I know it's long reading, so we're not going to read it. But what he says to them is he knows their pain and their tribulation that they're going through. So in verse 10, he says, we'll read this much, skip down to verse 10. Do not fear any of those things which you're about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested and you'll have tribulation 10 days. Be faithful until death. 
I'll give you a crown of life. Okay, we know from Philippians 2 that Jesus was obedient even to death, but does he expect that kind of humility out of us? And here we see the teaching where he says, Church of Smyrna, listen, you're going to have a lot more suffering to come. Wouldn't it be wonderful if you're going through suffering and Jesus came to you and Jesus said, listen, you've been so faithful, I'm going to make sure that you don't suffer anymore. He comes to the church of Smyrna and he says, you've been so faithful and just know that it's about to get worse. Some of you are going to be thrown into prison. Some of you are going to continue to suffer. Okay, Lord, what do you want us to do? Be faithful until death. In other words, literally to the moment that your life is being taken, what do you want us to do, Lord? Be obedient. Be obedient until death. So what I learned today. Are you too educated or wise? Do you think you're too experienced to learn from God? And you know, I don't say that to be cute. I say that to challenge you and I. We have some really smart people in this room. We have some people that have lived and experienced a lot of things. I'm just asking you, will you really give an evaluation? When's the last time you've sat down in humility and said to God, I know I don't know it all. And I know I have a lot to learn from you, God. Number two, learning of Jesus' humility is necessary to come to God. Number three, Jesus' humility was seen as he gave up his rights in order to serve and he gave up his life in order to obey. Have we learned Jesus? Have we learned his humility? What rights will you give up this week in order to serve? And to what extent will you obey God? I believe that if we list three or four characteristics that we must grasp. You know, we recently spent time on holiness. I believe if you're going to make a short list, you'd also have to add to that one to say, we must understand humility. And this morning, I hope that you desire to be humble. And I hope our study together this whole month will be a benefit so that all of us will not learn to act humble, but that we will truly learn to be humble. Can we help you in any way this morning? Are you ready to humble yourself and to become a child of God and be baptized into Christ for the mission of sins? If so, we would love to aid you in that. Maybe you've already become a Christian and along the way, a little bit of pride slips in and next thing you know, sin slips in. Next thing you know, we're not walking with God as we should anymore. And isn't it wonderful that God makes a way for us to come back? It's our arrogance that trips us up, but it's in humility that we can come back to Him and we can confess sin and we can pray forgiveness. And He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. What a wonderful opportunity He gives us if we're willing to be humble. If we can help.